I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to another edition of the On the Forecheck podcast. And oh my goodness, are things getting chaotic for the Nashville Predators? It's one of those uh, things where every game seems to get a little bit worse. Uh, so obviously a lot to talk about tonight. Let's jump right into it. Uh, joining me on the podcast, as always, Sean Smith from On The Forecheck. Sean? How you doing, Nick? Doing good. We also, once again, have uh, Ann Kimmel from On The Forecheck. Ann? Hey, Nick. How are you? We're doing good. Doing good. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Couldn't imagine spend, can't imagine spending it with two better people. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's painfully talk about some hockey. So we know where the Predators are right now. They're six and nine after a loss to the Detroit Red Wings on Saturday that, you know, maybe their worst effort of the year. And I'm including that seven to nothing Dallas game in there as well. Um, They didn't look good. They are making the same mistakes they've made for the past three years. And all of a sudden the predators find themselves six and nine this season. They've lost nine of their last 13 after starting the season two and zero. And uh, if you've been on Twitter, you know the fan base is not taking this well at all. So, with that in mind, Sean, you actually went to the morning skate practice earlier today. Uh, you had a chance to hear some of these players. Wh- what's been the vibe? What's been the vibe that you've been getting listening to the, these players and coaches talk? Well, if I, if I take it back to the players only meeting after whichever game that was the other night. I it's, I've been to so many recently. <laughs> that, that was Tampa. Yeah. Um, the players only meeting after the, the Tampa game. Um, when you saw Roman Yossi come out to talk as the captain to, to the media, one of the things I really noticed, and I know this sounds stupid. Like I, I I'm aware we're talking about sports here, but I want to talk about his, his body language at the, uh, at the, at the availability. He had his arms crossed and that's not a normal pose for any of these guys. They're usually very open. Their arms are open. They're, they're welcoming, you know, they, they will talk to you. They'll answer your questions. Um, but that was the first time in a long time I've seen Yossi really just kind of closed off. And then since then it's, it's really dependent on how the game has gone. Uh, when things go well, they're, they're fine. They're happy to talk. They're much more open when things don't go well. For example, like last night, you're getting you're getting that closed off body language after practice this morning. They offered up Colton Sissons, and he kind of had the same thing. And he seemed to ease into it once things got going. Of course, he was answering questions from uh, Brooks Braddon, who's with the team. So maybe that kind of lulled him into a sense of comfort. But it, it seemed like they they really I don't want to say they didn't want to talk, but definitely things were very brief. Um you know, it just seems, gosh, 
it seems like they're in a, they're pretty irritated about things too. And I, I don't necessarily mean that in the sense that, oh, the player, the, the fans are mad. Like, oh, the fans are mad because the team's not doing well. And the, the, the team seems frustrated with something. Uh, is it their performance? Is it something going on in the locker room? Like, I don't, I'm not trying to start some kind of rumor or anything. It's just, you know, something's clearly bothering them. Um, but when they talk about it, they really seem to be following that kind of team protocol of you're, you're not really going to, you, you never single anybody out. You never point to anything specific. It's always, we need to do better. Uh, I, as a player need to do better. Um, and, and what's funny about that is the team is they're like that. Even when you ask about good things, um, you know, if you, you, if you ask a question like, um, you know, who have you enjoyed playing with the most that's new to the team? you're going to get an answer like, you know, well, I've really enjoyed getting to know everybody and playing with everybody. It's, it's really odd that they won't when kind of given the opportunity to highlight an individual, they usually won't, unless you're asking about something crazy good that happened. Like talk to me about Yossi winning the Norris. They're really happy to do that, but you're never going to see them at least unless things go completely crazy, you know, ever really call somebody out or ever really, even, even a coach or another player, it's, it's always going to be the team kind of pulls themselves together very close. They don't let a lot out. So um, practice today, you know, they, they got dressed down by the coach for a while. Um, you know, not, not, not necessarily the worst thing I think we could have seen. I think it no, might have been re- absolutely not refreshing to see that kind of thing where I've seen bad performances on the ice and then I've seen practice the next day kind of like, yep, everything's fine. There's nothing wrong here. We're just another day. Um, and I know I've complained in the past uh, with La Violette that his practices seemed very ho-hum, very business as usual. We're just going to go through the motions. Um, and I've, I've praised that Heinz's practices have been very purposeful and very pointed in what they're trying to accomplish, but, um, I'd never seen him really climb all over the players like that and, and tell them that they needed to really change the way they were doing things. And that, that was what was echoed in the availability from both Sissons and Heinz as well, is that they're not happy. Nobody's happy. The fans aren't happy. The players aren't happy. Coach isn't happy. GM's not happy. Owners aren't happy. But he said, ultimately, it falls on him, on his shoulders, to fix it. And that's, you bring up that good point, because, Anne, and I want to ask you this, like, everything that I've heard from the team seems to be the right thing to do. I mean, as as Sean mentioned, the players are are visibly pissed. The coaches Mm -hmm. are visibly pissed, and they're all going out in front of the media and saying, look, we're, we're going to own this. We are not playing good. We need to be better. All of this has been exactly what you want to see from a struggling team. But at the same time, it's frustrating because this has been going on for over over a, I guess, season year, way more than a calendar year. But this has been going on and, and it doesn't seem like anything's getting better. In fact, it seems like it's getting worse. Well, and I think human nature is that when you see something wrong and you see something continually wrong, and you feel like it's not being addressed. I think everybody thinks we need one big blow up over it. We need somebody to come to the microphone and just unload and, you know, kind of air the dirty laundry, cleanse the air and make it to do. And then we can all move on. But I just, as good as that would feel in the moment, I'm not sure this is the scenario where a, I don't, I don't know that there is just one issue. Maybe I'm wrong. B, I don't, I wonder if 
Hoyle, Hines, the players, do they really know what's wrong? Mm. You know, I, I really yeah. wonder, do they even know what the very specific answer is? You know, every armchair quarterback or whatever you want to call them for hockey knows, hey, you need to do this, this, and this to fix this team. Well, it's art and it's science. You know, you can A plus B equals C all you want, but that doesn't always translate. So it's been really interesting. It, it's been very interesting to see. I think people want that big. Uh, they want a firing. They want a public dressing down. They want names. They want to know what's going on. I just, I don't know if the team really even knows to give that. Well, and I'm going to ask you a follow-up question because I think you hit a very interesting point when you said, do they know it's wrong? Mm -hmm. Because, and, you know, because as we've mentioned out, I don't think it's one thing either. But, and when you look at this team, like, do you have faith? that they're going to find a way to turn this around because it's been, like I said, it's been like this for, for two, three years now, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Uh, it doesn't feel like they're going to be able to, but I am an eternal optimist. Uh, it, that That is slowly fading. Now that's quickly fading. It took about three periods for that to fade yesterday. But um, I think overall, I think if you look back, you can see that there was some progress being made. If you want to break it down and really analyze it, I think it's not hopeless. But I'll tell you, after the Detroit game, it felt pretty hopeless. It really felt like, you know, I'm not one for throwing the towel, but it felt pretty much like clear the roster. It's time. It's time to call it. You know, you step back from it and you look, you know, at the end of last season after Heinz had come in, you know, in January, they were starting to kind of build a little bit of momentum before the season suspended. Now, that didn't translate into the play-in round, of course. But, you know, this is, I don't know, I, I go back and forth making excuses and condemning them. You know, this is, there are reasons I think why some things are the way they are. I don't know if it's luck that it all has kind of come to a head at once. It's not like they had one problem, they addressed it, something else came up, they've addressed that, now they're dealing with another issue. It's just like everything has sort of hit the fan at the same time. I, I don't know. Well, like Ann mentioned, it seems like it's a perfect storm. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to say, you know, oh, it's it's going to get better. And I just think you have a lot of factors that have all kind of hit at the exact wrong time. And, and you can go back and see this problem, this idea of uh, just the lack of effort. You know, I think I think when this first started, when you really started to see this, you would say, oh, it just look like they weren't trying very hard out there. And then you you kind of justify in your head and say, these guys get paid. Some of them get paid multiple millions of dollars to play this game. Surely they care. You know, surely they're not just going to give up and say, well, we're one goal behind. I'm just going to coast and we're just there's no way we can overcome this. But that's that's ridiculous when you think about it. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. But then, right. of course, when you see it over and over again. 
you say, well, maybe there's something to it, but then you have a dramatic change. You have a coaching change and you see the, the exit of Peter Laviolette. You see the entrance of John Hines. And I do think you started to see things getting better under Hines. I don't think it was an immediate, you know, everything's fine now. This is the problem. Clearly that was the only issue and we fixed it. Um, I think that addressed an issue and I think it started to get better, but then you had COVID-19 and you had the stoppage of play, you had the return to play, you had the qualifying round. Um, and then you had another extended break and then you saw them come back to a shortened season. Um, a lot of personnel changes on the roster. And I mean, quite a bit more than you would normally see out of this team, at least recently. And I think a lot of that progress that was being made gets lost. I think you have a restructuring of team dynamic due to the change in personnel on the team. So is it going to get better? At some point, it's going to have to get better because it can't get that much worse. Oh, careful. Uh, careful. <laughs> well. Be, be careful what you wish for. Well, sometimes it's got to get a little bit worse to get better. But the, the reality is the, the game as we saw it on Saturday night was inexcusable. I mean, they were getting booed out of the arena. Um, and that's something that Hines said to them today. Like you got booed out of your own arena. That's not okay. Um, Forsberg after the game said he, he understood. He probably would have booed them out of the arena for the first two periods as well. And I, I think that's the issue for me is you're starting to see people, you know, not just people, but the players acknowledge what we've been saying for the longest time. They only seem to come alive when they're playing behind. They only seem to come alive in that third period. And if the players are seeing it and they're calling it out now, they're the ones that have the ability to fix it. I don't. Hines doesn't. Poyle doesn't. The fans don't. And so they're either going to have to take some responsibility for it and start making it happen when they come out of the gate, or some things are going to start to have to change. And that leads me into what the point that I was going to make, because that's been the argument about player effort. And, you know, we, we've seen a lot of players maybe regress a little bit. Others maybe not playing up to the, their potential on all nights. And of, of course, you know, if, if somebody doesn't buy in, I don't I think we all agree that's not Heinz's fault. That's on the players. But at the same time, when John Heinz got hired, I remember exactly like I remember the conversation about who John Hines was as a coach. He was a motivator. He was a player's coach. He's somebody that can go to a player like he did with Taylor Hall in New Jersey, connect with him and really figure out how to get the best out of him. So from that regard, it's been, you know, about just under 50 games he's had. And we're still having these problems and the players don't look motivated. And you have a lot of players who, for lack of a better term, may be taking a night off. Then at that point, then is Heinz an effective coach? Because if that's what you build your reputation on as a guy who can get the best out of his players and you're having these effort problems then wouldn't you say you failed as a motivator? You know, I, I, I guess just a very brief opinion on that is there's a definitely a difference between being a good coach and being the right coach for the team. Does, does that make sense? 
Yes. Of I course. think, I think you can be a good coach and still not be cut out for the team. The team, if they're not responding to you, uh, you may not be the right coach for the team. Doesn't mean you're a bad coach. But that's what happened with LaViolette. We all agreed he was a great coach, but whatever his message was got lost. Did his message get lost or were the players getting very comfortable in that message and felt like they had it down so well that they didn't have to really engage with it as much as they needed to? I mean, that's a good counterpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you you know, you say, well, somebody's lost the room, but there's also such a thing as complacency. And when you know what somebody wants you to do, again, I point back to those practices that I was able to go to. It looked like, hey, we're just going to come out and do our thing. It didn't look like we were practicing getting better. It was this idea of we've got it down. We're the best in the league. We're going to be fine. Any adversity that comes our way is just a speed bump and we'll get over it pretty quickly. Yeah, I really struggle. Um, I go back and forth about, you know, is Heinz the right fit? Uh, Personally, I think he's a good coach. What I've seen from him, I feel like he you know, I don't think this is a coach who is oblivious to what some of the issues are. I really feel like he has a read on the team. Uh, I feel like he's relatively open about here are the things that I'm seeing. Here are the things that we need to fix. I, you know, I, I go back to, am I making excuses knowing that he came in when he came in, he came in to, you know, a pretty tumultuous situation here, you know, after LaViolette being fired, came into the locker room. And then, you know, the season, you know, they kind of picked up a little momentum, then the season delayed, and then you had the play-in round, and then you had this long off-season. And, you know, everybody says, well, you know, Tampa Bay had that, and they're not playing bad. Well, Tampa Bay also had a Stanley Cup, you know? Right. And, And I really think John Hines kind of came in at a really tricky place and, and I'm not necessarily, it it sounds like I'm making excuses and maybe, you know, maybe I am, but I think, man, he really walked into this and did not get to establish some things that a coach would come in and with consistency and time establish with a team. And he's kind of playing a little bit of catch up. um, I think in that end, I feel like he has a read. Um, but you know, people, you know, people are, a lot of people seem like they're out of patience for Heinz. I'm not there yet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not there yet. I get what you're saying. And I do agree with it to an extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, 40, 40 something games is a hard, um, is 40 something games is a hard metric to measure a coach, especially given that a, it was split between two seasons and a pandemic. Right. But at the same time, there are some things I see from Heinz, like the power play formation. Now we've talked about the power play formation before it's been the same for the past three years when the predators have had, uh, what was it? Somebody mentioned just the, it's been the worst percentage over the past three years but he's using the exact same formation and nothing is changing and if you know if you know that's a problem like everybody knows that's a problem right like chris mason says it during every broadcast how gills is on the radio yeah you know and nbc will come here and do a show 
and AJ Malesko or Ed Olchik or whoever the color commentator is will mention the Preds power play. They'll say, oh, no movement or, oh, this is predictable. If if everybody can see that and Heinz can see that, then why isn't something changing? Like, why aren't you trying a new formation? Why aren't you moving players around? That one, yeah, that one, yeah. I, I have that same question. I wonder who is in charge of the power play. I mean, ultimately, Heinz answers for it. So, you know, that in that way, I think, okay, you've got a system issue and it clearly needs to be addressed with the power play. Well, you go you go back far enough and it was it was Housley, right? Uh was it? I mean, they were pretty decent under Housley. And then it then it was McCarthy. Right? Yeah, uh, I think so. yeah, then it was McCarthy, I think, lost that role to Lambert. He didn't lose or, his job, but he lost that role. Right. And then it was Lam- Lambert or Lambert or uh and I think he's still in charge of it. Or did did Muse take over it for a while? Um, uh, I think it's still Lambert. Okay, so I think with him, you know, you're looking, and, and this is this is what's interesting is we've we've said it before, is that you go back a few years and you've got that power play setup working very well with someone like Shea Weber in the back taking those thunderous slap shots, and even with Subban, it worked pretty well. However, you you don't have those guys anymore, and you, you have Yossi and you have Ellis and Ekholm, and they can shoot hard, and that's that's fine and dandy. But when when asked about that, when when I've asked and people have asked Hines what what he's doing, he'll just say, you know, we're not shooting from the blue line to score. We're shooting to disrupt coverage. And it's almost like we're, we're using the same thing, but we're saying we're using it for a different reason. Um, and so I don't know if maybe part of the problem is because the formation that he's using is so similar to the formation that was used before, uh, you're changing the reason that you're shooting. Your setup's the same. It might make it really hard for those guys to transition to that mindset of, okay, we're not shooting to score. We're shooting to disrupt trans to disrupt coverage and then get somebody in closer and try to get the rebounds. And, and that, I mean, I'm again, sounds like I'm making an excuse, but I, I'm with you. You know, everybody sees it. Nobody's doing anything about it. Everybody's calling it out. Nobody's doing anything about it. So at what point does, do you see something change? Do you see that approach change? Or do you say maybe the first, the first domino that needs to fall is that your special teams coordinator needs to go. You need to bring someone in with a fresh look. Can I bring up a theory? And I know nothing to back this up, but do you think that Hines and the coaches see that are mentioning it? but it's just the players who aren't doing it. Yeah. I wonder about that. I do. I wonder about that. If they're so used to being in a system and executing it a certain way, and they are just not kind of changing their mindset to how Heinz wants it to be executed. I also have to wonder, uh, I hate to say, I wonder if they are intentionally doing it, but I don't think they're intentionally not doing what the coach wants. I think no. maybe they're falling into old habits. Old habits. old habits. Yes. And I think that's kind of a theme because we've, and we've talked about this on this podcast before where the predators play really well. They get off to a hot start 
you know, they're looking good. There's a lot of movement. Something happens. They go down one nothing, uh, maybe two nothing. They they give up a bad play. You st- and then it just all collapses from there. It's the same habits. It's the same lack of movement. They seem to go back into. I I don't know if comfort's the right word, but it seems to be more of a very simple approach rather than maybe focusing on individual tasks at hand. But that leads me to a follow-up, and that is on the players, because as Anne mentioned earlier, there's a lot of big money players on here that just for the past couple of years haven't been playing well. Do you make a move? And I'm not just talking about, you know, the Kyle Turris, you know, trade away, trade away a contract, you know, mess with your third line, maybe bring in some grit. I'm talking about, do you need to change the core of this team? If you change the core of the team, do you want to do it in the middle of this season? That's, I don't don't know. I don't know if you need to do it in the middle of the season, but at that point it's, are you going to accept that this is going to be a down year if things don't get better? Well, I, you know, you, you could trade people away and, and you could trade for picks and you could bring your youth up like you'd initially said you were going to do. Yeah. Uh, what happened to that? Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> it's an old, old story we used to tell long ago, isn't it? Um, right. But you know, you could, you could trade away a lot of players. You could pick up a lot of picks, but I think, Eric said, Brian said, everybody said, this This is not the draft you want to get really, really deep into um, as far as when you're going to restock the cupboard. No, uh, it, it absolutely is not. And, uh, you know, let's let's clarify. We're not advocating tanking. I, I yes. hate tanking. Nobody wants to see their team lose. So anybody who's like cheering for you know, your team to suck is not a real fan. And I'm sorry if that offends some people. And I know people are going to have the counter argument. Well, we just want, you know, what's, what's best for the future of the team. You should always cheer for your team to win. I'm sorry. If you're a real fan, you should always cheer for your team to win. But, you know, and Sean, just to clarify for you, like I wasn't suggesting, you know, trade Ryan Ellis for two first round draft picks, but you know, it has Victor Arvidsson run his course? Is there somebody out there that would maybe make a one-for-one trade with a player that just might be new blood? You know, I, I, I can't speak specifically to, to that, but what I can say is that there have been scouts sitting behind me on Media Row um, for the past several games, one of which is regularly Vancouver. And so I've heard a lot of rumors in that front. Um, so, and I don't know who they're targeting and I, I don't think the right thing for me to do would have been to turn around and ask like, Hey, who are you guys looking at? Because... I don't think they would have told you. <laughs> Worth a but, shot. Well, I mean, the worst I can do is get thrown out and lose my credentials. Right. Well, I guess I could get arrested, but, um, or beaten. Well, either way, um, none of that's necessary. But, you know, the thing is, uh, clearly they've got something that they're thinking of or looking at. Um, I don't know how 
realistic or plausible that's going to be. But I, I don't think this season is a we make we make one change to the roster and things get better. Um, there are plenty of players and so much more flexibility with who's playing on your team and who's practicing with your team each night and each day that if one player was going to make a difference, I think they could have, they could have made that internally. Um, but I, I don't think that's it. And I don't think that, you know, trading someone away and getting someone else now would be a difference maker. Would it be a good move? Maybe. Um, you don't really know what someone's trade value is going to look like down the road and, and to just automatically assume that, um, you know, it's still going to be really high, uh, is is probably a bad idea, especially the way things are going this season. Um, you know, and then of course factor into that potential for injury and things like that. But I, I also want to say that I really think, I really think that the team has been very, very specific at how they have used this entire off season and this roster construction to to be where they want it to be going into the expansion draft at the end of the season. Um, and I think they've left themselves a lot of flexibility where they can protect all of the big name, big contract players that they want to protect, but they can also leave some of those guys out dangling if they think that it's a good time to, uh, to, you know, clear a little space. Um, so, I, you know, uh, it, it's, there's no specific exact answer that I think I can say where, well, the best thing to do would be to, trade everybody away. But I, I certainly don't think it's a move you want to make in the middle of the season. I think you want to either get picks, get them for down the road, you know, not for this next season, but for uh, not for this next draft, but the draft after or in, in play your youth, like you said you were going to do, or maybe just hope that, you know, hope, right. But hope that we are going to, you know, at least not finish dead last and that your players will start putting on a little bit better of a show, both for the sake of attendance and for the sake of trade value. Yeah, I have to agree with what Sean is saying. I don't think that that what is happening in Nashville is a case that we just haven't found that one missing piece. You know, I don't I don't think we're dealing with um, one simple issue. We just need to make one change, whether it's bringing somebody in, whether it is uh, nailing the lineup just right, whether it is firing Hines, I think there's not just a one fix. There's not a, a, a one move fix here, whether, you know, regardless of whatever option someone throws out, I think there's a lot going on. I think there's a lot, I go back and forth, but I really kind of land on, I think there's a lot of little to middle sized issues that are all kind of coming becoming more obvious all at once that all need to be addressed and you have this condensed season. And I have to wonder, would it feel this awful? Would it feel this horrible? Would the reaction be as quickly negative in the Twitterverse if this was a regular season, if it was structured like a regular season, if every game was not a, a, if every game wasn't a conference game, I wonder if it would feel like we have got to fix this immediately. You know, there's not, I don't think, I don't think what's happening in Nashville is a one problem issue. So I definitely agree with you um, that it's not a one problem issue. And I don't think one trade, one free agent signing, one whatever is going to fix it. But 
I, I think the question that I'm asking, and, and Sean, feel free to jump in on this, is is this core, do you feel comfortable this core is still the core that's going to take Nashville to a title? Because that was the big thing from Poyle last year when he fired Laviolette. He's like, hey, you know, regardless of what what's happening with the coaches, I still think the, this is the players I want. These are the players that are going to help me get to a title. Did he say that? I feel like I remember he said that he fired the coach because he couldn't fire everybody on the team. He did. So he did say that, but he also followed up with saying that he likes the players he has. He wants to work with them. I mean, he followed up with saying the players have to decide um, whether they want to do what it takes to win games every night. That's true. But he also made it very clear that, hey, I think the guys that we have are capable of winning. I mean, he basically just said they underperformed, but now when you've been underperforming for a very long stretch, you have to wonder, is this combination just not right? There's, there's definitely something that needs to change. And I, I don't, I don't want to say blow up the team right now, but I think if you see, if you come to the end of the season and it's, uh, it's just chaos then yeah, I think it may be time to move on from several key pieces. So speaking of key pieces, Anne, how safe is David Poyle's job right now? I think probably he is the guy on the most shaky ground at this point. Um, I think it's a long line of things. I think the, you know, it seems like he's consistently brought in with big contracts. These, we just need this one more piece. And that's not panned out. And I think people, I think there's frustration about, you know, you keep saying, we just need this one more piece. We just need this one more piece. And that hasn't panned out. I, I think it's a, a general manager's job. First of all, of course, it's to win. You're to put together a winning team. The second part of that, or what you have to do to win is you have got to know who your team is. And I wonder if David Poyle knows who his team is, you know, is the, is this, is this the core group that could win a Stanley cup? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he knows who this team is. And And, and that may be the thing that is his undoing. Remember last year, the big criticism was it felt like there was a disconnect between Poyle and Laviolette the games they wanted to play and therefore the players Poyle was bringing in. So if this is happening again, how much blame does Poyle deserve for that? At that point, is it just a case of Poyle's telling a coach what he wants to do and maybe not giving somebody like Hines the full reign to live out what he wants to do? There's so many different angles here. There really is. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and we've been sitting here talking about it for 35 minutes and that yeah. thought hadn't even crossed my mind. <laughs> and that's, that's what's bad is you, you think about a problem for long enough and you start seeing all these other issues as well. How much of this is, is the coach? Well, how much of it is the coach not being able to do exactly what he wants to do or uh, things like that? And, you know, if, if I can throw my, my opinion in on the, the shakiness of the ground beneath David Poyle, Right now, you know, I, the, the best way I can, you know, I'll, I'll say this, and this is, 
See, see what I do here. I'm, I, I am a teacher and I've worked for several different principals and I worked for a principal once that was constantly in hot water and deservedly so. And I had a meeting with him one day and he said to me, he said, I've got to go talk to the board. And I said, oh gosh, I said, what, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And he's like, well, the worst thing they can make me do is retire. And I think about that line a lot when people say they want to see David Poyle fired because he's not going to get fired. Um, again, the worst they can make him do at this point is retire. And a lot of that just depends on how they want things to go. Uh, if they want to bring Brian Poyle in, then you're going to see Poyle retire and hand the reins over to Brian. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that was his choice. Um, a lot of it has to do with whether or not the ownership group feels like his son can, can, uh, write the ship. And so, uh, you know, realistically, especially because it is an ownership group, if you go to the the Predators website, you can see the ownership group. There's a lot of them. Um, they have to be in consensus that it's the right thing to do. It's not as simple as one person somewhere saying, yep, time to go. Um, so you have to have a consensus on what to do and how you want to move on from it. So I think realistically, you know, he's pretty safe. And I think the first, not the first thing you're going to see happen with the team, but the first thing you'll see happen with him is that he will retire. And there may be whispers that he didn't retire by choice, but that's neither here nor there. The fact is, there's not going to be some big dramatic, you know, boils out, we fired him. And I, I think you can bank on that one. So you you think he's safe? Well, by safe, do you mean that uh, he'll still be the GM at the end of the year? Do you make a midseason move or is he safe right now? No, he's safe. There's no way. Okay. Okay. Counterpoint to that. Should he be safe? I mean, if this was, if you were the one person in charge, would you pull that trigger right now? Hmm. You know, here, here's what I'll say. It's, it's good to want to make drastic changes, but I think with everything that's going on and I, I think about, not just the fact that the season is shortened. And I, I think not just about the fact that um, the team's not doing so well or, or all that, but you have to consider, well, you also have the expansion draft going on. Um, I think if you want someone to have the best start to, you know, the rest of their career or the rest of this team for the duration of, of however long they're the GM, you kind of want them to be pulling the strings going into the expansion draft, in my opinion. Um, do I think that's likely to happen? No. The only way I could really see that happening was if they planned on going with, uh, Brian Poyle and they just let him be in charge. And then at the end of the season, David Poyle retired. Um, personally, that's how I think it's going to go down. I don't even know if it's going to be during the season or at the end of the season or not. I think the, do I think that David Poyle should still be here? I don't know. Do, I agree with Sean. I think that he has done enough good in Nashville that a firing, I don't, I don't know that I can see Nashville doing that necessarily. I think the retirement makes more sense. The only way I can see it playing out a little bit differently is I have to wonder, and again, this is all just what in the heck is happening in Bridgestone, but I wonder if... You know, you remember when Poyle fired Laviolette and hired Hines and he had that press conference and that, I mean, really uh, was very firm about calling out the players. And I have to wonder, okay, is there some sort of a, you know, festering 
weirdness that is affecting things, you know, from the general manager affecting the locker room. I don't know. I don't know if that can happen or not. But if there is, that's when I think, you know, if that is part of this whole scenario, then at that point, probably you're going to need to to call it. I think he, despite what Twitter says right now, I do think that he um, has enough, uh, he's done enough that Nashville probably won't kick him out. Um, but boy, I think people like talking about it. And I do think if there is some sort of issue between Poyle that is affecting things in the locker room, you know, that's something you really got to take a look at. And, you and know, again, I'll, I'll close that with one last question. Sean, you kind of mentioned it. You know, we've been talking for over 30 minutes and we keep bringing up all of these different problems that we haven't even touched yet. The fact that there's so many problems on so many different levels, is that not an organizational failure? Yeah. Total organizational failure. If you ask me, you just have so many things that are, well, as, as Anne put it, and I'm going to tell you, I really like this term. Um, it's just, there's a festering weirdness, (laughs) but that's good. That's a really good way to put it. There's, there's a festering weirdness that's creeping into a lot of different avenues on, on, on the team and organizationally right now. And so I don't, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to make some changes at some point, but you know, I, I think about, gosh, sorry for comparing this to the French revolution, but uh, you know, you think about what happened with the French revolution, you know, you, we got it, we need change. Let's get Napoleon to, to lead us through this change. And then you, you put him right back in charge and he makes himself an emperor. I mean, you, you see over and over again that uh, a lot of, not just not just countries, but teams and uh, cities and, and, and organizations, they'll try to root out all of the bad that's going on and put someone else in charge who's totally just as bad, if not worse. So, you know, I mean, yeah, you can say that a lot of things are going wrong, but you really have to make sure that when you do make that call, when you do pull that trigger and, and get whoever you think is responsible for it at the root of it out of there, you got to have somebody good to step in. Um, you know, and that was one of the big criticisms when they got rid of LaViolette was, well, is Hines the right guy for the job? They didn't even name him an interim head coach. He was immediately hired as the head coach. They gave him a contract and everything. So, you know, it's it's one thing to say we got to get rid of this guy, but you've got to have the right person when you bring them back in. I think that's a uh, very profound point, and I think that's something we are going to have to watch because fan tension is at an all-time high. Player tension is at an all-time high. While we haven't heard a lot from front office, I guess you could probably safely assume that they're on edge right now as well. But that's a good spot to go to break at. Um, We obviously have more on this topic coming up. But as we go to break, as we do always, we're going to leave you with a little trivia question. You guys ready? Yes. I, I, I... the good the good news is you'll have a break to think about it, Ann. So this season, Matt Benning became the eleventh predator to wear number five. That is tied for the most players who have worn worn a specific jersey number. 
what are the other two numbers? Ooh. We'll let you think. We'll let you think about that. We'll let it marinate. And if you're listening at home or on the road, we'll give you a second to think about it too. Join us after the break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, as we went to break, our trivia question, Matt Benning became the 11th Predator to wear number five this season. That means number five is now tied with two other numbers for the most worn sweater numbers in team history. Can you guess the other two? And I believe you know one. I do, and I never know things, but this I know. 16, which will be Rem Pitlick's number as Six. soon as he takes the ice at Bridgestone again. 16 is correct, and Rem Pitlick was the 11th Predator to wear 16. So that leaves one more. It's all you, Sean. I, I my guess was twenty-two. It is. It is a number currently worn. Uh, number nine. No. Dang. <laughs> Fourteen. Yep. Ooh. Ding ding ding. Nice. Ooh. Ooh. So there you go. Fourteen, sixteen, and five. Um. If one more player wears number 28, that will have 11 players. So if Ellie Tolman ever wants to change numbers or maybe gets traded, oh. there's an opportunity for more history. Uh, if you're if you're listening, David Poyle, for the love of God, please do not trade Ellie Tolman in. No. 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 Please. That, that was a devil's advocate. Uh, and speaking of the team, we've talked a little bit about what had been going wrong this season. But is there time to get this back on track? And I'll start with you. If you're looking at this from a fan's perspective, over the next, let's say, three, four weeks, month or so, what can the Predators do to convince you that this group can turn it around? Well, I'm, again, the eternal optimist. So... I'm clinging to an ounce of hope that maybe I don't know that they can necessarily turn the ship around, but at least maybe they can save a few more people before it sinks. For me, it all boils down to the word execution. They need to execute on the ice and it's the little things. It's the turnovers, it's defensive position, it's making the saves, it's snagging the rebounds, it's for the love of all that is good in the world, be in the slot. Um, you know, so I think if they can execute, you know, and again, I come back to maybe all of this is a bunch of little things. And if you can clean up two or three little things, um, it's going to start to look a little bit more hopeful if you can clean up three or four or five of these things uh, in one game, I think it's going to look better. I will say the Detroit game just about uh, 
just about made me lose my belief in unicorns and sunshine. But I think if they can execute some of these little things better, you know, maybe it won't be so painful. Well, the last thing I would ever want to do is take away your love of unicorns and sunshine. Absolutely. That would just be a national tragedy. Um, Sean, Sean, what about you? What are some things you want to see from the Predators moving forward that convinces you, hey, maybe, maybe this is a team that can carry the Predators to the promised land? Ooh, oh, wow. Um, you know, Ann mentioned the little things, and, and I believe it was Gavin Rossdale who, who was quoted as saying that it's the little things that kill. Um, you know, realistically, there are a lot of little things, and I don't know if you're going to be able to clean enough of those up in season, especially with the way things have been going to, to make a noticeable impact. And I think there's so much riding on this off season because as <laughs> I know this sounds really pessimistic to say but this offseason is a golden opportunity to dump a big long ugly contract if you need to um you know a contract you may have to buy out a contract that you may have to um retain salary on if you make a trade a contract that you might not get back what you want for it so i think there's a lot of things that you can't mess up this offseason that being said you know i just want to see in like just some kind of urgency from the moment their skates hit the ice that we need to come out guns blazing, ready to go and just put it to the other team quickly, set the tone for the game and don't be reactionary, but be the ones that force the other team to react. And if, if we start seeing that, then sure you can go into the off season without having to do any um, major work at the trade deadline. And, and, you know, and that's that's what needs to happen. Uh, I think if you change that one thing, I do think a lot of the little things get taken care of. But I haven't seen anything that shows me that that can happen. And I see it happen in the third period, but that's only 20 minutes. And if you have to wait 40 minutes to get to that point, it's too late. You bring up an interesting thing. You mentioned the contracts and you mentioned the expansion draft. Is there any contract you think Seattle would pick up if left exposed besides like, let's let's leave Philip Forsberg out of this. Let's leave Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis out of this. But you know, is, is a Matt Duchesne going to be picked up? Is a Ryan Johansson going to be picked up or is that a contract that Seattle's not going to touch? Well, you know, the, the Johansson contract could be somewhat appealing. He has a lot of upside and going to Seattle, it's close to his home. So uh, you know, realistically, it, by the time that comes around, you don't have a super long term left on the contract. And so that might be one that you're you're looking to unload if the season doesn't improve. I mean, I, I could potentially see a lot of upside there. They may have to make some some kind of concessions or shady under the table dealings to make it happen. But I think they could. Um, and I, that I hate that and it makes me sad. But at the same time you want to see some results at some point. You look at the schedule coming up. Uh, they have Dallas this week, which oof, uh, we all know how that went the first time around. Although Dallas has, has had some struggles here recently, but that's still one of those uh, situations where if the predators play to their competition level, then it's, it's probably 
not going to go well. Um, they have Columbus after that, who they've played well against this season. And then they have Detroit again. So, um, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a murderer's row. But at the same time, Sean, I guess I'll ask you, like, what's what's the record you're hoping for? In the next- mean, yeah, like real like it's like, let's not do the oh, we want to see six and oh, like, but realistically, because <laughs> I mean, that's going to be everybody's answer. But no, but realistically, like if if they go four and two over the stretch, is is that is that signs of a turnaround? I, I don't know. I, I I would like to say four and two would be signs of a turnaround, but that depends on on where you get those four points. Um, You know, if you if you beat Dallas twice and then you you beat you know, you beat the Blue Jackets twice, then you lose two to the, to the Red Wings. Yikes, you know? Um, so I, I think it's, it's hard to say record-wise. I'd like to see two wins against Detroit. I'd like to see at least a, I'd like to see a win against each of the other teams. And, and that would give you your, your four and two. It's just how that four and two is constructed. But yeah, that's what I need to see. To piggyback off what both of you guys said earlier, I think the biggest thing is just you want to see the quality of play. And that's a that's something we haven't seen early on these past couple of games. I mean, I think um, Sean, who was it this morning that basically said that we are not starting the game? Was that Ryan Ellis? Uh, the, let's see. Um, it was Forsberg last night um, said that they and even Sissons today he said, you know, we're he said the problem is we're not coming out of the gate uh, ready to play and. You know, I, he said that it had been addressed. He said they'd answered for it. And I asked Hines afterwards, I said, you know, here's what Colton Sissons just said. You know, do you believe that message has been received? And he, he talked about a lot of things, but he ended with this. He said, you know, when we're going to find out is uh, Monday night. (laughs) So I think he's, he's waiting to see too. And that makes me a little bit nervous, but. (laughs) I think we, I think we all are. Yeah. But that's uh, who shows up Monday when the when the puck drops. That's that's where I think everyone's attention should be. Is you can say what you want about the owner, you can say what you want about the GM, you can say what you want about the about the coach and the players. But it's all going to come down to what happens Monday night. And you mentioned a couple of little small things. What's the what's the one area that you are looking for for improvement these next couple of games? Maybe there's one aspect more than anything. Oof. Uh, I, I really think just, and, and this is, this is cheating the question, but that's how I roll. I think execution, uh, they have not played sharp. They have not, uh, they've not been able to put together, you know, a, a decent chunk of time of good hockey play that they're capable of. They, it's just very simple, basic things. Like, I don't think you need to overhaul the entire system. I just think you need to execute what's there. They have got to start as they mean to go on. Come out, play hockey the way you know how to play hockey, and see, you know, and see what happens. It's, you know, I really think it's that simple to say. Not that simple to do, clearly, but I think it's, it's all about executing. Well, those are all very interesting points, and I'll leave it with this. You know, the Nashville Predators starting Monday night have back-to-back games against the Dallas Stars. 
And I'm going on record and saying this is as close as do or, do or die as it gets at this point in the season. You know, I think I think if you see two more bad efforts followed by maybe another few poor performances against Columbus or Detroit, I think that's when you're going to have no choice but to look at a midseason move. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's going to come somewhere in the front office, the coaching staff, or somewhere on the bench in the locker room. But all I know is that this is put up or shut up time for Nashville. And we're going to have to wait and see how they respond. As we close, there has been some history in the NHL. The Predators are no longer the only team to wear a mustard-colored jersey. I know. I love it. Has anybody seen the Vegas Golden Knights' third jerseys they debuted tonight? Clearly their best jersey yet. (laughs) Really? Wow. I was not going to say that. Well, I've gone on record before with my love and adoration of the mustard cat jersey um and i think i think it's i don't i don't want to say that it's a good color i think it's the best color and i don't know that it could get any better so uh you know three cheers to them for just finally taking the bull by the horns and, and doing right by the mustard cat color um you know clearly it's maybe maybe it's a cat underneath the the knight's helmet i don't know um, but I definitely feel the spirit of the mustard cat with Vegas. That is a strong, strong <laughs> take, Sean. Okay, is this not the same team that wore the C-3PO helmets? It is. No, the the gold. What do you guys think about the gold helmets? Because oh. I like them. Oh. I like them. Did you see them with your eyes open? Yes. Wow. Oh. I, I like them. Like, I did not see what the... Like, I do not see what the fuss was about. No, I, I'm I'm with you, Nick. Honestly, you know, I think you and I both having gone to uh to Western Kentucky, you know, the transition from their original helmets to the shiny helmets was I think a positive move. And I was really impressed to see Vegas do that in the NHL. I like it. I think it's a good look. Yeah, I mean they're not the first ones to do that either. I remember the LA Kings, I think, for their stadium series team or their stadium series uniform set had like uh shiny silver kind of in that same concept. Yeah. But the silver is, the gold really was a little too like eighties chain jewelry for me. It, it, I mean, it was it's not like, great. It's like Notre Dame. Yeah. It just wasn't great. It wasn't, it didn't come off the same. I don't, I can't, I can't explain to you what it was, but it was, it was, it was a look. It's it's what I expect out of Las Vegas. Yeah, I'll give you that. But it was a lot. Can we agree the jerseys are at least better than their uh, reverse retro? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, oh, I love yes. it. Uh, I mean, I've already gone on record saying it, it's the best jersey. But um, And I'm going to say, too, like I just brought up a, a picture of the chrome helmet that the Kings wore. And those look sweet. Right? I think that's the look more teams should go to, honestly. No, those I like. Those I like. I say I like them better um, than the regular helmets, but I, I still think that the gold, I mean, the the gold is fitting for Las Vegas. Number one, it's the Golden Knights. So I think at some level you, you need to expect to see that golden color. But at the same time, when, when I think of Las Vegas, I'm not thinking of the old, 
you know, mafia run Las Vegas of, of, uh, of back in the day. I'm thinking of current, just gaudy, overdone Las Vegas. And that's what I want to see. Yeah. It just reminds me of one of my favorite movie quotes, put it on a dead guy and bury it. Wow. 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 Not good. What movie is that from? Oh, fantastic movie called Angus. If you have oh, never yeah. seen Angus. Have you seen That's it? It's a great movie, yeah. One of my all-time favorite movies. Takes me back. Good soundtrack, too. Yep. Love it. Yeah, they're talking about a purple, a plum tux. Ah, yep. His plum tux. Put it on a dead guy and bury it. Oh, but that plum tux. I wore a turquoise tux one year, and it looked good. I was going to say, that was kind of the, the thing in like the 80s and early 90s. It was definitely the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack betrays the time. Yes, always. Is there is there any other team that you think could pull off a shiny helmet? Gosh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking. I'm having flashbacks to the reverse retro podcast. Give me a second. Yeah. Somewhere Bobby's going to show up and yell at me for calling it a jersey. It's a sweater. <laughs> Not the gold, not the gold. Now, if you wanted to do like metallic red or something like that, then then we could talk. And the silver I love, but not the gold. I think the flames could pull off like one that's got like hot rod flames coming down the sides Ooh. and top of it. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That would be legit. So like basically just change the flames to like Guy Fieri's. Exactly. Which I feel like they should do anyway. But yeah. Uh, maybe they can just relocate to Flavortown. Hmm. That's not a bad idea. It's not. I mean, think of at least the concessions there. So. Oh, man. Oh, yes. God. Donkey sauce. Oh, it'll be so good. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to ask why Johnny Gaudreau has suddenly gained like 50 pounds in a year. <laughs> <laughs> Flavortown, baby. It said, you, hey, you wanted him to put on muscle. He's playing a more physical game. Ice tastes like barbecue sauce. <laughs> oh god that's awful <laughs> uh, barbecue flavored water mm. oh uh, yeah well i think on that good note to call a night on don't you guys think i agree uh sean why don't you tell the fine folks where they can find you online oh if if you're looking you can go to the uh the twitter and you can find me at s c s o t f um, you can, of course, you can find anything I write it on the forecheck.com. And if you really wanted to get up early, you can hear me on WNSR in Nashville, uh, at five in the morning on game days and give yourself a plug. You can find me on Twitter at and K underscore mama on ice and at on the forecheck.com. And I'm Nick Morgan. You can find me at underscore NS Morgan on Twitter. Uh, everything I write on, on the forecheck. And I don't have a cool radio show like Sean. So those are those it's, are the two places. It's not, I guess here. It's not mine. I'm just on it. Yeah, but you're but you're a part of its spirit now. Okay. Well, okay. You you and Brian. Yes. But yeah, you're here. I mean That is true. You're running this right now. I like it. You're not this, nothing, Nick. You're this, not nothing. This is my life now. So there's one place. But anyway, that's been it for us here at uh, On The Forecheck. You can uh, be sure to follow us, subscribe, leave us a uh, rating and a comment if you feel inclined. And we'll see you guys next time for more Predators Hockey.